Another day, another Tuesday, except today we woke up with snow on the ground. I know I'm not any more excited about it than you are, but it is a sports fan on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad you're along this Tuesday afternoon. We got to fight that white stuff on the ground we woke up to, and we're going to do so with a lot of sports talk. We've got some NFL to break down from last night. We've got the World Series Game 6 coming up this evening. Where I want to start, though is with college football in regards to who is getting into the college football playoff. Because we have our first playoff rankings coming out here in about a week or so. So let me go ahead and give you where we are right now in the AP rankings. I'm dealing with a little bit of a, not quite a cold, maybe a pre-cold, what have you. So I apologize for that. I'm I'm, I'm making it through it today. In the top 25 right now, we've got LSU sitting as number one in the AP poll. They have a slight lead over Alabama. It's not really going to matter because those two teams will meet here in a couple of weeks anyway. Then you've got Ohio State and Clemson rounding out the top four. Penn State, maybe to everyone's surprise, they're fifth. They're 8-0. Then you've got Florida, Oregon, Georgia, Utah, and Oklahoma rounding out the top ten. Plus, we could throw in Auburn, Baylor, Minnesota, the next three outside the top ten if you're really won. But let me discuss this. Because Will Kane had a fascinating discussion on his show yesterday. If you listen to that last night, Will was talking about who is a viable candidate for the college football playoff. And he brought up some really interesting points I want to bridge off of. Will believes that this is going to come down to Clemson and potentially three SEC teams, maybe two Big Ten teams. Either way, one conference is going to fight to get multiple members into the college football playoff this year. Let's take a look at the field right now. Let's break it down. Clemson is just going to be there. I mean, they haven't looked overly impressive this year, but who's going to beat them? Provided they don't lose, they're going to be there, and I don't think they're going to lose at any point this season. I don't think they're favorites to win the national championship by any stretch, but Clemson will be a college football playoff team. So you look who else might be there. You've got LSU and Alabama, the top two teams in the country right now. They're set to face off in less than two weeks. What if it's a close loss, and then whoever wins that game loses to Georgia in the SEC championship game? Then you've got three SEC teams with one loss. What do you do? Clemson already is going to take up a spot. So then you could have potential, let's say for the sake of argument, LSU beats Bama because we don't know what Tua Tagovailoa's status is going forward. Let's say for the sake of argument, LSU beats Bama and then loses to Georgia in the SEC championship game. Then you've got Georgia, the conference champion with one loss, who beat LSU, whose only loss would have come to the conference champion, and Alabama, provided they have a close loss without their starting quarterback, to a team that made the SEC championship game. Then what do you do? The Big Ten doesn't want that to happen. That would be worst case scenario. That would be DEFCON 5 for the Big Ten. Because right now, the Big Ten is hoping to get two teams at max into the college football playoff. And that would come via Ohio State and Penn State. Now what the Big Ten wants is that those two, when they play, will have a close game. And the winner of that close game will win the Big Ten championship. That will be the Big Ten's argument for getting two teams into the college football playoff. It's going to have to come from Ohio State and Penn State. But if that happens, if the stores all line and that happens, 
where Georgia beats LSU, who beats Bama, where Ohio State slightly beats Penn State, or any of the combinations, then what do you do? Who's in? Who's out? See, Oklahoma's loss is opening the door wide open. Oklahoma was the Big 12's best shot at getting into the college football playoff, really their last shot. And maybe they can, but even if Oklahoma runs a table like I think they will, they go 12-1, and win the Big 12, I still don't think that's enough. Because the SEC and the Big 10 are more impressive. I don't believe the Big 12 will be represented in this year's college football playoff. I don't believe the Pac-12 will be represented there. Their best shot is Oregon, maybe Utah. Those two teams will probably meet up in the Pac-12 championship, each with one loss. Even still, the resumes for both those conferences aren't good enough for a team to get in with one loss. In fact, you could make the argument that Oregon is in a better position to control their own destiny right now than Oklahoma is. And who would have ever thought that? And I tell you what, the committee cares more about bad losses than they do about good wins. Bad losses are what stick out before anything. Oklahoma's loss came to Kansas State. Oregon's loss came to Auburn, who's ranked 11th right now. That's what the committee's going to look at. And that's the interesting thing if what I talked about does come true with the SEC. If Georgia beats LSU in the conference championship and LSU slightly beats Alabama with Alabama's backup quarterback. Because you look at those teams and their losses. Alabama losing to LSU, presumably, who would be the SEC runner-up with one loss if it works out in this scenario. Okay, that's not a bad loss. That's nobody's bad loss. LSU's only loss would come in their conference championship game, a conference which many believe is the best in the country. But Georgia, despite being conference champs, their loss would have come at home to an unranked 2-3 and three South Carolina squad. So then what do you do? And again, this is all speculation. I don't know that Georgia's going to win the SEC. I do think they can. Jake Fromm's got to figure it out. Kirby Smart's got to figure it out because right now they look lost. But I do believe they can. So let's just pencil this in for right now. Let's say that Clemson gets one spot in the college football playoff. They control their own destiny. Let's say the Big Ten gets one spot in the college football playoff because the Big Ten does control its own destiny, whether it's Ohio State or Penn State, as long as one of those two goes unbeaten and wins the Big Ten, they're in. The Big Ten gets an automatic qualifier in that sense. So let's just pencil in Clemson and the Big Ten champion, provided they both go unbeaten. Who do you divvy up those last two spots to? LSU? Bama? Florida even? I don't believe Florida is going to be there at the end. I really don't. They are not a legit college football playoff team. Could it be Oregon? Could the Pac-12 get in? I don't think so. Oregon is their best shot. I, I really don't believe Oregon is still going to be standing. Could it be Georgia? Or could it even be Auburn? Could Auburn find a way to get into the college football playoff? I don't believe so. And then you really want to go wild. Let's say Baylor. No, no, Baylor's not going to be standing. Minnesota. I could be a Gophers guy for the rest of this year. I really could. I could be a Golden Gophers bandwagon fan just because I know Notre Dame's not going to make the college football playoff. 
and I know that the Gophers aren't going to be there when it's all said and done. I like the Gophers, you know, I'm, I'm kind of on that bandwagon, but they're not going to be there when it's all said and done. It's all about the gold. You've got the Baylor Golden Bears, the Minnesota Golden Gophers, Notre Dame. It's all about the gold. I tell you what, when you're looking at legit college football playoff contenders, Clemson controls their own destiny. All they got to do is win out, which they probably will, and they're in. The Big Ten controls its own destiny for at least one team. Maybe they can get two. Again, if it's a close loss between Ohio State and Penn State, and the winner of that game wins a Big Ten championship, that would get two teams in for the Big Ten. But then what do you do with the SEC? Because what if that scenario that I laid out for you does play out? Again, I'll recap it. Let's say a little less than two weeks from now that LSU beats Alabama with Tua either not playing or hobbled due to injury. And then LSU goes on to lose to Georgia in the conference championship. Then what do you do? Provided that the Big Ten champion and Clemson both went out, then what do you do? Because you've got three one-loss teams in the SEC, the worst of whose loss came to the conference champion, Georgia. Provided Georgia wins the SEC. They went out, they win the SEC, but they still lose to South Carolina. Plus, you got to factor in how much the committee loves Alabama and the excuses they would make for Tua not have playing against LSU or not playing 100% healthy. That's what you got to factor in. The SEC or the Big Ten could be the ultimate monkey wrench in the college football playoff field this year. I do believe the Big Ten controls their destiny to get at least one team in after getting shut out last year. And Clemson controls their own destiny. But not whoever wins the SEC. Because again, if Georgia does win the SEC, but they've still got that loss to South Carolina on their resume, and they've got two other really good one-loss SEC teams, I don't know that Georgia controls their own destiny. Because as we learned last year, bad losses matter more than good wins to the college football playoff committee. That's what kept Ohio State out last year. Didn't matter who they beat or how bad they beat them. The committee looked at that 29-point loss to Purdue, and they said this is not a college football playoff team. They looked at Oklahoma and their loss to Texas, a close loss, which they avenged in the conference championship game, and they said this is a college football playoff team. Bad losses matter more than good wins in the eyes of the college football playoff committee. Again, I don't believe the Big 12 is going to get in. I don't believe they have a path anymore. I think there are too many good SEC teams and maybe multiple Big 10 teams that are going to shut them out. I don't believe Oregon is going to be there. I don't believe Utah will be there. I don't believe Florida is going to be there. And I don't believe that Auburn is going to be there. Maybe Penn State. I'm starting to come around on Penn State. I think we were all down on them this year because we thought they would be down. But they're hanging around. Now, I'm not optimistic they'll be a playoff team. Best case scenario, again, for the Big Ten, maybe Penn State does slightly beat Ohio State and then wins a Big Ten championship. Then that's your case. Or vice versa. If Ohio State slightly beats Penn State and then wins a Big Ten championship, that is your case for getting into the college football playoff with multiple teams. College football first playoff rankings will come out here in just a couple of days. Let's take a timeout. Let's talk a little NFL next on ESPN-UP.
Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad you're along this Tuesday afternoon. Well, the NFL trade deadline has come and gone. We're going to jump into that here in a couple of segments or so. But first, let's update our NFL Pick'em standings, where last night all of us were winners because the Pittsburgh Steelers were winners over the winless Miami Dolphins. So I'm 27-13. and 13. I'm in first place. I had Green Bay, Minnesota, and Pittsburgh all right this week. Chicago and Carolina were wrong. Ryan Steig, Jake Duran are both 24-16. and 16. Ryan had Minnesota, Chicago, San Fran, Kansas City, and Pittsburgh. So Ryan went... Three and two this week. He should have went four and one, just like me. He picked the Bears and Eddie Pinero. Bears kicking game struck again. Do you get the analogy? Because this kept replaying in my head that the Bears kicking game can be summed up in a gif of Charlie Brown when he's trying to kick the football and Lucy pulls it away from him in the Peanuts commercials that we all watched growing up. That just sums up the Bears kicking game perfectly. Jake picked Minnesota, the Chargers, San Fran, Green Bay, and Pittsburgh. So congrats to Jake. He had a perfect week this week. I had one last week. Jake had it this week. John Michael Hoefling, 23-17. and 17. He had a really good week. He went perfect this week as well with Minnesota, the Chargers, San Fran, Green Bay, and Pittsburgh. And then Tyree Smith, 22-18. and 18. He had Minnesota, Chicago, San Francisco, Kansas City, and Pittsburgh. So first to fifth, separated by five games in our pick'em standings between our friends of the show here in ESPN-UP. I tell you what, the Dolphins look like they were going to make it a game last night. They had a 14-0 lead early on, and the Steelers able to overcome it. They win 27-14. However, it comes at a price because James Conner left the game in a sling. James Conner, star running back. We all know the story. What a great story it is, him coming back from cancer, what have you. And he leaves the game in a sling after injuring his AC joint. So the Steelers do get the victory. They're three and four at 27 and 14. They're still not very good. They're still not going to make the playoffs. The Dolphins, though, at 0 and 7, they are winning in a sense because they are loading up on draft capital. 11 picks in the first three rounds in the next three NFL drafts. Five of those picks are going to be first round picks. The Dolphins are doing this tanking thing pretty good. And they're loading up on draft capital. They will have the number one overall pick, I tell you what. You know, in one of my leagues I talked about, you know, I was contemplating it a few weeks ago. Now I think I'm ready to fully buy in. I've got the players on my roster. Just get all the Dolphins players in your fantasy team if you know you're going to tank. Because last place in one of my leagues gets their $50 entry fee back. I could use an extra 50 bucks. So why not just get all the Dolphins players on my team and let them tank for me. They're tanking in real life. So they're going to tank for me for an extra 50 in fantasy. I know that makes me the worst person in the world. Like, I don't respect the person who tanks in fantasy football. But I'm doing it. But I'm doing it. I tell you what, though. The Dolphins in real life tanking for Tua? No, that's not the answer. I think that's what they're doing. But if I'm an NFL GM, I don't take Tua Tagovailoa with my first-round pick. Tua Tagovailoa has so many intangibles around him. But that is the best thing on his resume, is being a quarterback with intangibles. Because Tua Tagovailoa, looking at him in Alabama, is left-handed and injury-prone. Two things that don't translate well to the NFL. I've said the stat before, the last two players to throw 
left-handed touchdown passes. Neither were quarterbacks. One was Des Bryant. The other was Kenny Byard, a defensive back with the Titans. The last two players to throw a left-handed touchdown pass, neither were quarterbacks. Left-handers, for whatever reason, just don't translate to the NFL well. Couple that with the fact that Tua can't stay healthy. Suffered major injury last year in the SEC Championship game. He got bailed out by Jalen Hurts. And now he's hurt this year. And very well could miss the biggest game of the season coming up here in a couple of weeks against LSU. Those things don't translate well to the NFL. I get it. They're going to have the number one overall pick. And if you're there and you don't get Tua Tungavailoa, then what's your plan? It makes it look like you don't have a plan. That's where the pressure is going to come on the Dolphins. Because as much as I I don't want to say I hate tanking, because I don't, I get it, it's a business and you're building yourself up for the long term. Because you can't hit on draft picks, but you can hit on draft capital. You can even hit on trading that draft capital into a player that you know is going to work out. And that's what I believe the Dolphins should do. Because if they have that number one overall pick, and they will, and Tua Tagovailoa is sitting there in the front row, how do you not pick him? The pressure is on you. Get a quarterback. Do something sexy. Even if it's not your quarterback of the future, you need to make the fans think that. You need to give the fans optimism. You need to put butts in the seats. How do you do that? You sell optimism. And you don't do that by drafting offensive linemen. You do that by drafting quarterbacks. That's not the right move, but that is the reality that we live in. The right move is building up around your quarterback. But everybody wants to feel excited about a new quarterback coming in. A playmaker. They're not excited about offensive linemen, even though that's what you need. Because the Dolphins line is bad. But if the Dolphins use that number one overall pick on some lineman out of Wisconsin, out of Ohio State, Personally, I think Chase Young, I know he's defense, but Chase Young should be the number one overall pick because that is an absolute home run. That is a can't-miss guy, and he is a can't-miss guy for any NFL team. I don't care who you are. But if they use that number one overall pick on an offensive lineman, well, then everybody's going to lose their minds because that's not exciting. That's not sexy. People want a quarterback. They want a playmaker. They want someone to give them optimism and that's why i feel for offensive linemen it's a thankless job the only time you're recognized during a game usually is when you do something wrong when you have a penalty false start number 74 offense five yard penalty replay first down something like that it's a thankless job but it's a vital job it's an important a necessary job this is what i believe the dolphins should do if I was in the Dolphins' front office. I would use my stock-loaded draft picks on offensive linemen, and I would build around Teddy Bridgewater. I would go out and scoop up Teddy Bridgewater, who grew up in the Miami area, by the way. A chance for him to come home, be your franchise quarterback, and you know that you have a good team built around him. With my draft picks, I revamp my offensive line, and I go out and I get a quarterback I know has been successful. I go out and get Teddy Bridgewater. That's the move I'm making if I'm the Miami Dolphins front office. I'm not tanking for Tua. I don't believe Tua is going to pan out in the NFL. At least there's way too much 
to make me distrust him. He's got the intangibles, but when the intangibles are your best thing on your resume going into the draft, you're in trouble. When you're optimistic about a guy because of his intangibles, that's a red flag. You want to be optimistic about something like his arm strength, his size. Maybe he doesn't have the accuracy or the speed. Maybe he's a pocket passer. You've got to have something tangible to make you like this guy. If your biggest strength is your intangibles, then you're in trouble. That's not the guy you want to spend the number one overall pick on. I like Tua. I'm not rooting against him. But he's injury prone and he's a left-handed quarterback. And those two things do not translate well to the NFL. They just don't. We've seen that time and time again. I believe that the right move for the Miami Dolphins in their rebuild process is to go get Teddy Bridgewater and use their picks on a supporting cast. Because you can't always bank on draft picks. But draft capital, that's a whole new thing. That's a whole new thing. And there are teams that would love draft capital. And you can sell that to go and get a piece that you need. Teddy Bridgewater. Teddy Bridgewater, I believe, is the right move for the Miami Dolphins. Fitzmagic won't be there next year. He'll be somewhere next year, but he won't be there next year. Who knows what will happen with Josh Rosen. I still, I feel for Josh Rosen. I didn't think he was that impressive in college. I didn't think that he was worthy of the hype he got going into the draft. But you see what he's been through since going to the NFL and how he's handled it. I feel bad for the guy and I root for the guy. I want him to get a shot. But if the Dolphins are serious about winning in that division, Teddy Bridgewater is very likely the best available name out there this offseason. There will be Teddy Bridgewater. There will be Garner Minshew. Although I don't think he should lose his starting spot, he probably will because the Jags sunk $88 million into him. Garner Minshew will be out there. There will be a few guys in this quarterback class. Who knows what this quarterback class holds for us? Who knows if Jake Fromm will figure it out, if Justin Herbert will look like he did last year instead of Justin Herbert this year. Who knows if Tua is going to translate to the NFL. But to me, there's not enough where I want to take him with the number one overall pick. If his best skill set is his intangibles, that's a red flag. I need something tangible I can build off of. I know he's got accuracy. I know he's got arm strength. But he still is left-handed. And history shows, for whatever reason, those generally don't work out in the NFL. And maybe I could get by that because of the exceptions who have... But he's injury prone. And if he can't stay healthy in college, he's not going to be healthy in the NFL. He's not going to see his health improve as he gets older. That's just a fact of life. I tell you what, let's take a timeout. When we come back, I've got some Northern Michigan audio for you. Grandpa Tony, Kyle Nystrom, all that and more coming up next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad you're along. We're going to get into some NFL trade deadline talk because the deadline about 30 minutes past now. But first, your Sports Center update. The LA Chargers have fired offensive coordinator Ken Wisenhunt following the team's 3-5 and five start. 
Vlato Andonovsky has been named the new head coach of the U.S. women's national soccer team. And finally, forks were considered sacrilegious in 11th century Italy. The Catholic Church referred to forks as artificial hands and that it was disrespectful to God to not use your given hands. How about that? Forks at one point. Works of the devil. That is your Sports Center update. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad you're along on this Tuesday afternoon. I mentioned we're going to get into some trade deadline talk, but first, I've got Northern Michigan audio for you. It was press conference day, as it is every Tuesday, and I've got some Northern Michigan sound for you. Let's start on the football side with head coach Kyle Nystrom. His team coming off their bye week as they get set to take on Northwood. I tell you what, Northern needed that bye week in the worst way as an opportunity. Just get healthy. Get some guys back. Did they feel that they got healthier over the course of the last few days? No, we're not healed up as much as I wanted to be. So I've been shaking my head at Jason and poor John like they have any control over the healing process. And I, you know, so we practiced for an hour and a half Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. They worked out on Friday with the strength staff. And I went recruiting. I went to Marquette in the morning. I went to Manistique and saw Coach Kangas. I went to Cedarville. You guys ever been to Cedarville? No. It's an interesting place. I saw Scott. And then I went over to Pickford. And then I drove back. So it was a 10-hour day, 385 miles. And, um, and then Saturday recovered, and Sunday we were in breaking down the Wayne State Northwood film. And we had an hour practice last night. So over the weekend, I, I, I got one guy that's ill, and I got another guy with a mild staph infection. So <laughs> for having, you know, recovery period on the weekend, I'm down too, but I think I should get him back by tomorrow, I hope. It never works out the way you plan it. Yeah, you got everybody's got a plan until they get hit in the mouth. You ever hear that one? So we're trying. We're trying to get him back. We'll be fine. We'll be fine. So the players we have healthy are, they got their legs underneath them and they like practicing. We've had energetic and, and good spirited practices. A lot to prepare for. Uh, you know, Northwood is going through a, a tough season too. Um, their quarterback, um, number eight, has been around a long time. Joey Garbarino, he's from, I think he went to De La Salle with Potter. He's been in and out. He's their starter, but he looks like he's got some shoulder issues. So he's been he's in and out of the games um, and, and replaced by a young man from Elgin and here and there at, quarter, at quarterback. So they're different every game. But there's a few things that stay, that stay constant. They had a lot of unbalanced sets, what we call zombies, and we call Teds, and um, a lot of bunch formations, which we call dice, and trips open rack, and motioning people around to create to create space in their running game. So they're different every game, so you prepare for everything that you get, and then you'll have to adjust on the fly during the game. But they've got a lot of scheme, a ton of scheme stuff. And uh, they're fighting, we're fighting for success, as are we. And so a couple of the things that stay constant are there's still a triple veer scheme, there's still a power read scheme. Um, and uh, they're a very good curl flat, and and bang post on the backside of three by one. So some things, some things that you can see that they want to do, and their sound stuff. And then uh, you just got to figure out what's going to show up next. Here we go. So now Northwood, and it seems like every conference has that one option team. They never really do anything themselves, but they're always tough for you. They're always there to play spoiler. 
That is Northwood in the GLIAC, and they're going to be bringing that option this weekend. They're still triple, triple veer. They're still power read. Uh, you know, they'll run the quarterback. They'll run the dive. They'll run the pitch when they have to. And, you know, the power read stuff fits in pretty well off their triple game, off their veer schemes because it's a gap scheme and it's still a read off the, off the five technique on uh, whether you're going to keep it or give it. So those parts, those moving parts stay the same as their triple game. And, um, and then, you know, they, they want to throw the ball and do their things too with a little bit of screen. A lot of formations to get adjusted to. A lot of change of strength motions and things like that. And they run schematically. Their defense is very similar to ours. It's really out of the four-two-five family. They're, we're a little bit different here and there in some minor aspects, but they'll know what hurts their defense, and I'm sure they'll put it together to attack us. So how did Northern spend the bye week? What Northern do as they get set for the Timberwolves? And the extra week has helped so we can break down and isolate certain packages and get to work on there. But, you know, the teams that do well against them, they don't get blocked man on man. They throw someone in the dirt and they go to the ball. So that's basically what, what you got to live on on defense. And so for us, the box is the box. The safeties are like, you know, they're like the, uh, the Indy Formula race cars. Those, the safeties in the 425, they've got to be tweaked all the time to move around because they make the package go. So we're constantly defining things for them, what, how, what they got to line up in this week, what they got to look at, you know, where their run fits are and how their coverages are affected with the vertical game. So those guys get the most tweaking, them and the, them and the linebackers. I tell you what, Northern Michigan Volleyball stopped by as well. We heard from head coach Mike Lozier, plus Sarah Kuhn, who was named GLIAC Player of the Week yesterday. I tell you what, coach likes the way his team is trending right now. I feel good. I feel like uh, we're getting better every day. Every match we're learning something new. Uh, sweeping last weekend was huge for us for uh, postseason implications. and uh, Now we're getting an opportunity to finally play at home. It's been a little while. Uh, we actually have back-to-back weekends at home for the first time this season. So uh, another great thing is we've done a lot of uh, revamping of how we scout opponents with Kristen, and only having one match on Saturday really allows us to really uh, dig deep into Tech's game plan and what they're going to do so we can prepare for them. Uh, they're a great team, obviously. They're, they're at the top of the conference right now. They're playing at a very high level, but uh, we have a lot of really strong pieces, Sarah, um, you know, has been playing really well, and Abby, our other middle directy, mm-hmm. has been doing very well. Lauren Vandermorrow, our setter, is growing. Um, and we have that advantage of being so young. Um, you know, the seven or eight players that play all but Sarah are their sophomores or juniors, or sophomores or freshmen. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that allows for a significant amount of growth throughout the season. So the team that competed against Tech last time uh, is significantly better. So we hope that shows on Saturday. The results are starting to come, but this team is succeeding in more ways than the box score would indicate, says Coach. Uh, they validate that we're doing the right things uh, because even the last weekend we were at that conference crossover, we went one and two, but we were up 14-12 in a fifth set and one match and ended up losing it. So in my mind, yes, it's, it's, it's a loss, but I think we outplayed that team. So uh, we're playing very well. I think it's just validation that we're, we're playing well and, and that we're continuing to get better and we're positioning ourselves in a great place for postseason. Uh, in a conference right now that is very uh, tight, there's a lot of interesting things happening with teams beating each other. And uh, I think going into the 
conference tournament, the eight seed could somehow find a way into the finals. So uh, it's just a matter of continuing to get better so we can compete in that tournament. Sarah likes where the team is trending right now as well. She spoke a little bit about where her team is right now. We're trending in the right direction as a team. Um, and like Coach kind of alluded to, we're young, and so I think we have the ability, and we have done this, and we have the ability to continue to surprise teams. Um, we're, we have a lot more growth that's to come still, I think, and I, I hope that we're peaking at the right time in the season. So, um, yeah, I feel really good. Sarah's a fifth-year senior. She's the de facto leader of this team. Is that an advantage, a disadvantage? She did address that. So disadvantages, I have to be aware of how my body's feeling a lot more. I've played five years of college volleyball, which is a lot. Much, I mean, and that's even more than the years of sports I played before college. So, um, yeah, so my body has definitely taken a toll, and I, I can tell it's my fifth year. And, um, yeah, so my body's kind of screaming at me some of the time. But that being said, um, mentally, I've, I've gone through the ringer. I've gone through a lot, and I've been a part of a lot of different types of teams. And so, like, leadership-wise, it's definitely an advantage. Um, and especially with this type of team, being young, I feel super lucky to be able to, like, be a mentor for some of the younger girls. And um, I don't know. It's, it's just been a really cool season to be a part of. So I would say it's definitely more of an advantage than a disadvantage for me. We limit my reps, you know, in practice and stuff. So we take care of the body piece of it. Um, and... I think my mental game and stuff like that definitely benefits from my age. But overall, Sarah's happy with where her team is. As a team, um, we for sure are, like I said, trending the right way right now. Um, and, I mean, for me individually, too, this week was a big a big step. I was honestly struggling earlier in the season. Um, at least I felt that way for sure. Um, I have been working on my block a lot um, and trying to work within our system a little bit more. Um, instead of just like an individual piece to it. So, um, yeah, so I feel like overall we're all trending in the right way. And I'm, I mean, I'm talking about me as an individual, but I would say that everybody on the team would say that themselves as an individual. Like, we're all learning every single day of practice, and we're all getting better. And obviously then that makes the team get better as a whole. So, um, yeah, I feel good. I tell you what, as we come up to our next time out, let's take it now. When we come back, I've got more Northern audio for you, that of Grant Patoli. We'll talk about a big weekend for the hockey team, both on the road and here at home. Plus, what happened with the NFL trade deadline earlier today. All that and more next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. If you missed any of our show today, get caught up on demand. Get our free mobile app from the Apple Store or Google Play or look up ESPNUP.com and get the on-demand there. Tanner Hoops with you as we wind down this Tuesday afternoon. We're going to get to some Grant Patoni audio plus football talk. A few other things I want to bring to your attention, though, because we got a lot that's been happening here over the last few hours or so. One being actually something that we have coming up tonight, and that is the World Series Game 6. We have Steven Strasburg and Justin Verlander. Houston with a chance to close it out on their home field. They can win their second title in three years. However, Justin Verlander, a guy that we know as one of the best in the game. Justin Verlander is a Hall of Famer, is he not? Don't we think of him as a big game guy? Because in the World Series, he started eight games, and his career record is 0-5 in the World Series. Can that change tonight? But think about this narrative. Is it a prove-me game for Verlander? Is it a prove-me game for his legacy? 
Is his legacy as a Hall of Famer on the line? I think he's a Hall of Famer. But people are going to remember his 0-5 record in the World Series. Tonight will be his ninth ever start in the World Series. And he's never even won a game. He's won a championship, but he's never won a World Series game. Can Verlander change that narrative against a Nationals offense that really, other than Juan Soto, has been very cold since Game 2? They've been almost non-existent. I love me some Anthony Rendon. Love the guy. I wish he was a Minnesota twin. But Anthony Rendon has not had a good World Series. Not from an offensive perspective. He is going to get a small fortune this offseason. And it's probably going to come from the Nationals. They're probably going to do their darndest and open their wallets wide to keep him in D.C. But Anthony Rendon has got to do something in this World Series for Washington to do something. Juan Soto has really been the only consistent form of offense for the Nationals throughout these first five games. That can't happen if they want to win two in Houston. We're going to recap game six tomorrow, whether baseball season is over tonight or if it's going to be over tomorrow night. Game six can be heard right here on ESPN-UP and online with our app, first pitch set for 8.07. Also, just a couple of hours ago, the NCAA voted unanimously to allow athletes to be able to profit off their likeness, whether it be a jersey sale or a character in a video game, memorabilia, athletes can now profit off their likeness with the approval of the NCAA. That just happened a little less than three hours ago, and that's something that should have happened a long time ago, I tell you what. So maybe there is hope we're going to get NCAA video games back. Football, basketball, I think a baseball video game would be so much fun. Would you? Well, I'd play it, would you? NCAA baseball, Road to Omaha, that's what they could call it. I should start that. Play your way through the Super Regionals all the way to the College World Series. I'd buy that. I think that'd be a great video game. College hockey, too, but I get it. Non-revenue sports, they make it tough. But football, basketball, yeah, let's get that back. Let's bring those back. So I tell you what, that should have happened a long time ago. I'm glad that it finally did. And we're going to dive deeper into it tomorrow as more information becomes available to us. Right now, we know that it is legal. We don't know a whole lot more than that. We know how the league voted but now we gotta wait and find out the details the nitty-gritty and we'll have the analysis tomorrow right now we've got hockey to get to before we turn to football and recap the trade deadline grant patoli his weekly presser earlier today his team coming off a sweep of ferris state this weekend talked about saturday night's game and despite the win he didn't feel like it was his team's best performance i thought we were opportunistic to start the game um out of our six games, I thought that was uh, the poorest we've played. Um, you know, and, and the danger in those games is when you, you get up 4-1, to one, um, sometimes you, you know, they're not going to stop playing. You know, they're competitive and they're at home. You can get lulled into a little bit of uh, sleepiness, and I thought that happened to us. Um, but, again, like, we found a way in the end to win. And, you know, I, it, as much as I would have liked to have that game be a little bit more locked down um, there's good teams that find a way to win and you know we've, maybe we've shown that um, we kind of have a little bit of that resiliency in this group this year that you know you were down four to one and came back and tied the third period and now you're up four to one and let them back in the game and found a way to win the game so um, at the end of the day I told the players you play to win the game um, it's better to learn lessons from games that you win than, than you lose so 
Um, we got a lot of things we got to work on this week, especially defensively. One aspect where Coach is really challenging his team to be better is on special teams. Penalty kill has been an area that we've um, continued to try to work through, um, and this weekend power play was uh, didn't do its part either. And you know when you get a five minute major, and you, those can really turn a game. And you know both ways. Like if you can score and, and you feel good about it, you can kind of put somebody away. But you know typically when somebody kills a five, they usually find a way to win a game. It's like scoring a shorty. And they scored a shorty and killed the five, and um, you know we still found a way to, to come out of that game with a win. Going back to Friday night, coach had some thoughts on his team's play in Game One of that series. You know, I, I think our goaltending, even though we gave up three and four, I think our goaltending was very good. Um, you know, part of it, you know, they're they're a good team, um, and their their building is tough to play in. You know, that was sold out. Um, they're very good at home. So, you know, when I say okay and when I say poor, it's no disrespect to them um, because I think, you know, we probably all goaltended them. You know, I don't think we all played them. Um, I, I think we made some crucial saves at some crucial moments to um, allow us to make a play and score a goal, you know, and um, get, probably gave up more scoring chances this weekend than we have in as many, as long as I can remember. Yesterday, Nolan Kent was named WCHA Goalie of the Week. Coach talked about his award-winning netminder. You know, and you probably saw some of the highlights or watched the game, and, and we gave up breakaways and two-on-ones and, um, you know, chances that um, he had to be spot on because, you know, there's they were it was two-to-one, and they get a mini breakaway, you know. Then it's, you know, three to one and they get a two on one and then all of a sudden it's four three and they get a breakaway and um, so he made some really big saves and um, like like him and John have both played very well this year. Griffin Lochran was named WCHA forward of the week after his hat trick performance in Big Rapids. There's goals that they all count the same um, but there's goals that are more important than other ones and this year he scored some very big goals for us. Um, you know I think he's got three game winners now. Um, he's really been an important driver for for our offense and and we need him to continue to to be the complete player he is and and he has the ability to score and now you know he's he you, you can see that that he's emerging as a sophomore as a guy who can consistently generate offense so northern is back in the rankings are ranked 20th is that something they pay attention to at this point in the year you know the the rankings that at the end of the day that matter is where are you in the pairwise when it finishes um is it nice to be rewarded? Yes, you know, and it is, um, you know, and I think it's just a product of of winning, you know, and and you just you have to continue to, um, you know, bank points in your league. You have to continue to win your home games. Um, we've played well on the road so far, um, but we haven't played. You know, we've only played two home games, and and we split. So um, now, probably the next eight games is going to be you know, maybe the most important stretch of our season. And there are seven of eight are at home, and um, you got some real quality opponents. And, you know, I think if we can, can hold serve at home, um, you know, we'll, we will be in an excellent position um, to be able to control our fate down the stretch. So now Alabama-Huntsville makes a trip up here this weekend for a two-game series. Coach previewed them for us. They're absolutely been a team that's given us fits. I think, you know, and, and again, it's it's no disrespect to anybody we play. 
Um, it's more about us preparing the right way. And I felt like the week before we played BU, the practices and the attention span to, to, to details and to routes and, and all the things that are necessary to win were spot on. I felt like last week, and we talked about it during the week, um, I thought we got away from that a little bit, and I thought we were loose. Um, I thought, uh, you know, maybe we practiced that about an 85%. Um, so, you know, for me, the biggest thing this week is our team defense needs to get better. And when I say that, that doesn't mean one-on-one -on -one grinding out. It means you got to be fast back to get a puck so you don't have to defend. Um, you have to be great on your breakout routes. Uh, you have to manage the puck. You have to spend more time in their end. Um, and then you don't have to play defense. So that that part of the game is going to be, you know, one area and special teams. And uh, we have to make sure that our focus is where it needs to be um, to continue if we want to stay as one of the teams near the top of the standings. You, you have to continue to win home games. And, um, you know, we have a great opportunity over the next, you know, month and a half to, to make sure that we – uh, put ourselves in a good spot come second half of the year and starts with Huntsville this weekend. This Huntsville team just gives Northern problems. What is it about this team that makes them so pesky? I think um, they're a proud program with a, a very good coach that does a great job um, motivating and preparing his team whether they win or lose to, to come back the next night. And you know, it wasn't just that game. They, they beat us at home. They beat us down there. Um, last year we ended up losing to them in a um, in a shootout down there. So um, they, they've they've played us hard. Uh, their guys play very hard. They are on the edge. Um, they are physical, and they just they don't give you any easy ice. So if you can't execute and and score on your chances, then it becomes down to a game of will. And you know they're they're a team that is going to play right to the end of every game and. Um, you know, that's the difference in, in having a little bit of room of cushion or um, being right to the end. And you know what, then it's a one-shot game. Going back to special teams, Coach talked about it, how it could very well be the difference between a sweep or a split, or even worse, this weekend. How special teams can impact this series. You know, it's only about 20% of the game typically is special teams, but the as much as the outcome of the game depends on you know how you play a lot of it depends on how you execute your special teams and you know I don't I don't think we've been there um, on our penalty kill as consistently as we've hoped and the power play had um, produced up to last weekend but you know now it's taken a dip so um, as much as it is for them this weekend preparing it's you know getting that group and and whether it's the, the the group of guys in the power play or the group of guys in the penalty kill getting them dialed in so that when there is an opportunity that either you can you know make it count offensively or you can you know kind of kill the momentum for the other team and um that's special teams it's a game of momentum even if you don't score on the power play you can gain a ton of momentum by getting chances and um we didn't do a good enough job of that and obviously the penalty kill has been an area that we got to keep getting better at and, of course, the Petoni Pasta Party was this weekend. Coach loves that. He had a great time putting it on. Yeah, I have a lot of fun with that. That's a, um, this is a really fun event. And, and this year, you know, having it on the rink, um, I thought it was a different kind of feel to it. And, um, 
you know, there's lots of games for the kids and carnival type stuff. And um, but I think all that said, the highlight was having Coach Comley and and having him speak um, not only to members of the community but um, to the youth hockey players on, on following your dreams and um, trying to be the best you can be. And and I'm really excited for next year. We're already planning it. Um, you know, and the hope is that we can continue to. Um, give away great prizes, have a great night, and uh, support um, local youth hockey. Grant Patoni from his presser earlier today, Northern Michigan Hockey back home this weekend taking on Alabama Huntsville. I tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, I'm in a bad mood here as we get to the 5 o'clock hour. Nothing puts me in a bad mood more than a boring trade deadline. It doesn't matter what sport it is, but here's a recap. Here's a quick summary of it. The Bengals benched Andy Dalton on his birthday. Happy birthday, Red Rifle. We're going to start Ryan Finley next week. The Rams banish Aqib Tlaib to Miami. Maybe Miami's not tanking after all. Yeah, the Bengals are trying to get the leg up on him. The, the Bengals want that number one overall pick. So while the Dolphins are going out and getting an all-pro corner, Ryan Finley is going to take the field for Cincinnati on Sunday. Oh, and the Falcons cut Matt Bryant. Yeah, Chicago ought to pick him up. Andy Dalton gets benched, and Matt Bryant gets cut in like one hour. It happened over the noon hour. I think it might have been within an hour of each other. Matt Nagy's just got to be licking his chops. Overall, though, it was kind of a boring trade deadline day. Disappointed. I'm disappointed, ladies and gentlemen. Come on. Come on, NFL GMs. Give us fodder. We need you. We need you to make moves. I tell you what, that's it for us here in the Sports Pen. I appreciate you tuning in. I will talk at you tomorrow. It's my hope you join me same time and place for Eastern 3 Central here on ESPN-UP WZAM Ishpeming Marquette.